Welcome to the Royal Christian Centre Sermon Podcast. I don't think it any accident, and you know, as what one amongst you felt moved to pour out a heart cry in a, a heavenly language, and that's what we heard just a few minutes ago. If you're unsure as to what that is, you're welcome to come and ask me about that later. There in a heavenly language has poured out a heart's response to God. And, you know, as I was hearing that, I felt that God was actually moving upon a person to pour out praises and blessings and honor and thanksgiving to God. I don't think it's any accident that God should move in that way to bring that fullness of life in the same moment as your poor benighted pastor feels moved to talk about death. (laughs) Life and death are in his hands. You know, there is far too much fear amongst the people of God. And, you know, this is not a switch that you can flick on or off. I appreciate that. Understanding the logic of things is very, very helpful. Understanding what's going on in our hearts can be very, very helpful as well. But we need to be captivated by a better vision always. It's always in Jesus, always in Jesus, always in Jesus. If I talk of death, will you turn to God? If you hear outpourings of life, will you turn to God? Whether you have plenty or lack, will you turn to God? Whether you feel strong in your body or whether you're in your bed with all sorts of things oozing out of you, will you turn to God? Will you turn to God? Come on is all that it's about and you know Sam is going to tell you about turning to God if you're aged 11 to 14 years 7 to 9 so would you would you go not because we don't like you here but you know there's some great stuff for you to do so if you're in years 7 to 9 head on out Sam's there at the back and uh, and he will take good care of you and you'll learn about the grace of Jesus Christ as well Just the other Thursday, we enjoyed as a church our first time gathering monthly, um, having fasted through from after our Wednesday dinner time through to the Thursday uh, dinner time, and we gathered together downstairs and broke fast together and celebrated God's goodness. It's a new rhythm in the life of the church, and so we'll be doing it again on the fourth Thursday of this month. Uh, The date escapes me at the moment, but you can look that up. The fourth Thursday of every single month. And as we gathered, I was talking a little bit about what autumn means to me. uh, Because I'm a poetic soul. You knew that about me, didn't you? Uh, It does speak to me. It speaks to me about things that, you know, we see it, don't we? Trees, uh, the leaves falling from them and, and things are passing away. Uh, But it speaks to me then of what is to come. See, the Bible talks about heaven and earth passing away. What we see around us today is not eternal. But God is bringing in a new age. Indeed, he has begun bringing that in at the cross. And it's just accelerating. It's just getting more and more and more and more if we're willing to see it. I think this is an excellent season for us to think about issues of death and life. And you look at me and you say, Pastor Greg, there's never a good time to think about death. Honestly, there is. We need to pay attention. We need to pay attention to how precious our lives are. Otherwise, you know, you'll, you'll have lived it and you'll not have realized. And you'll have, you'll have passed all of your four score years and ten or however many we get allotted these days. And it'll all have, it'll all have gone by. And, uh, you know, and... What, what, what will it have meant? What will it have been? Come on, Christians. Come on, Christians. Be captivated by a better vision. A better vision of what life can be. And do you know that's part of what we're doing as we open up the scriptures? We're spending this current season um, in Exodus chapter 20, uh, which is the first place that you find what are called Ten Commandments. 
10 of the uh, moral rules, the code of God's uh, law for his people so that they might know who they are and who he is and how they are to interact with him and one another. And, you know, it was a, a high bar, a, a great standard, not one that anybody could meet. So in itself, it brought both life and death uh, to people. And, you know, we're reading these commandments and we're circling our way in we're working from back to front in fact because much like a solar system as it was pointed out to me uh, we can get closer and closer this way to the glorious fiery core of it all even the very brilliance of God's commandment right at the beginning there's only one there's no other one like God's and we can't make one God is immeasurably wonderful he is gloriously brilliant. He is incredibly powerful. He is astounding. And we are working our way up to glimpsing at his brilliance. I've taken the liberty today, in fact, of flipping our next two uh, commandments. Um, last Sunday, we, um, we were, well, we were in our hearts a little bit, doing some more heart surgery and um, we were instructed that we shouldn't covet, uh, that we shouldn't uh, want what is not ours and indeed what is another's. And we saw, well, what was going on in the heart through that? And in the evening, we looked briefly about the idea of bearing false testimony against our neighbour. And again, it's an issue of the heart. This morning, we're going to actually look at not the next one inwards but the next but one you know which is uh, you shall not commit adultery tonight we're going to look at you shall not steal uh, because last Sunday morning we talked a great deal about issues of wealth and possessions and so for the sake of variety I thought we'd look at something else this morning and we'll talk about stealing this evening um, you will notice that if you want to get all 10 then it's morning and evening. I make no apology for that. If at all you can be here morning and evening, I would highly recommend it to you. It's been the pattern of God's people, well, for millennia, really, to have morning and evening prayer, and it is an excellent pattern. I know perhaps during the week you're scheduled for all this, that, and the other, but when we can, we ought really to honour the Sabbath and keep it holy. Uh, I've read that somewhere. I don't know where it was. And uh, if you can at all on a Sunday, make precious use of this time. I'm sure you will get a great deal out of it, uh, even through the activity and the rhythm of morning and evening prayer. But this morning, we come to consider um, this uh, of the commandments, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14. And... Um, these words, indeed, they speak to us both life and death. You know, we talked a little bit last week about why should we even bother with the commandments. I'm going to go really old again for you. You say, Pastor Greg, you're always really old and old-fashioned. I know it. Um, it's not going to change. But there's a very old confession of our faith. It's the Westminster Confession of Faith. And in that confession of faith, they go through all of the commandments one by one. You can read it for yourself. Read it before you go to bed. Um, I'm sure it'll help you and uh, if nothing else to nod off but uh, every commandment that's stated says what does the commandment say and da, 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 da. but then it says what does it prohibit what does it say we shouldn't do and what are the consequences of all of that but also then within this confession it says what is, what is it enabling us to do what is the positive implication of the commandment? I would say to you as you read these commandments, we're going to explore this one just in a moment, you will find that there is prohibition. There's a sense whereby God is desperate that we don't tumble off a cliff. But God is also signposting us into life through each and every one of these commandments. So Exodus 20 verse 14 says, You shall not commit adultery. I read this week of a um, person, well, kind of. Uh, Samantha went to a tech fair in Austria last week, but a barrage of male attention left her battered and dirty with two broken fingers. That's a pretty horrific sense, isn't it? 
Did you read about this? Well, in fact, she wasn't a person. She wasn't an exhibitor. At the tech fair, what was actually being presented was a sex robot, this one with artificial intelligence built in. And the robot's makers were obviously disappointed that she'd been so roughly handled and roughly treated at this fair. And uh, the maker said, well, do you know, I don't think, I think it's because they didn't understand the value of this piece of technology. Maybe if we charged them some money, then they would have treated it better. But as I read about this story, the point was rightly made that that simply doesn't work. Three quarters of prostitutes working in the UK have been uh, violently abused. And the very premise that they're operating under is by giving monetary value to sex and sexual attraction and sexual desire. In fact, the monetary value commodifies it even more. And not just robots, but real people are turned into objects for abuse and disdain, to be demeaned. Uh, you probably read about another story. Um, I think it was this week, I lose track of time. But a, gen a gentleman named Hugh, or more commonly known as the Hef, I don't think anybody really should have had uh, particularly uh, pleasant nicknames for him, passed away also. And this gentleman, as you know, was the guy who founded Playboy magazine. And you may have read various different types of commentary about this story. Uh, looking at your faces, you probably just run away from these kinds of stories altogether. And you wish I wasn't making you feel so uncomfortable right now. But uh, you might have read different kinds of commentary about these uh, stories. And with regard to this gentleman, you might even have read that he was somebody who was really important in making our world what it is today that actually he was a champion of racial justice because of a few things he said or did, or that he was a champion of good journalism because, you know, in amongst all of the pictures there were some words apparently, that he was a champion of equality amongst the genders and getting rid of all of the taboos and all of the nonsense that was keeping people back and keeping people down. Well, I read some rather different commentary commentary from people who knew him, commentary from people who were even married to him, bless him, commentary from people who worked with him and met him in various places and scenarios and environment, commentary from philosophers and theologians who saw him as nothing less than a very broken man who brought brokenness into our world. And if there was any liberation, any empowerment, it certainly wasn't for women. It was actually empowerment of men to further demean women. Now you're asking yourself, why are you banging on about such stories, Pastor Greg? We don't expect the pulpit to be used for such things. I find license in the commandment that we have read this morning because it speaks to a culture that hasn't really changed. And whilst these things might have been hidden away at various times in various places in our world, at other times paraded and celebrated within our world, there is a brokenness that God wants to speak to. There is a desperate need that God wants to attend to. There is a healing and a wholeness that God wants to bring through his son, Jesus Christ. And the law speaks into this so that we might receive grace. What a contrast in our culture where blokes think nothing of abusing a robot because it betrays something that's going on in their hearts. Because men, even in our own town, would think nothing of abusing women. That these things are celebrated on the pages of magazines or on websites. What a contrast to God's best plan in the Bible of God's heart for people. See, God knew that this was going to be an issue for people, that the brokenness within the human heart, it's not just about things like uh, coveting wealth. That's not so embarrassing, is it, in our culture to talk about? Stealing isn't so embarrassing. I imagine we probably wouldn't be nearly so embarrassed if I was talking about murder even. 
God knows that there's brokenness in the human heart. Adultery in the Old Testament was considered such a serious offense, such a brokenness within the human condition that indeed there was a death penalty attached to it. You could find that in Leviticus 20 or in Deuteronomy 22. And remember, when we come to one of these commandments, we aren't simply coming to a prohibition. We're not simply coming to a penalty placed in the Bible to frustrate us, to restrict us, to punish us. We're not simply coming to that. Rather, we're recognizing that what God wants for us is the best for the people that he's created. And he knows what that best is. Adultery speaks about uh, the breaking and the brokenness that may come to marriage. And by God's design, marriage is a wonderful means of God's mission in the world. And marriage is meant to make us holy. I, I don't mean that it's just by you know, repeatedly frustrating one another that you kind of knock the edges off. That's not how it works. But it is meant to make you holy. It's meant to be a means of the redemption of your character. And by God's grace, it's also meant to make you happy. I thought it was a good place for an amen. Oh, you are grumpy this morning, aren't you? You're like Pastor Greg, you've embarrassed us. You talked about sex for five minutes straight. Uh, we're, we're, you know, what do you expect from us now? Come on, marriage is meant to make you happy. <laughs> you like, say amen and maybe you'll move on. All right. It is. And you know, marriage is meant to reveal something of the character of God. In fact, the union of a man and a woman is meant to reveal a sacred mystery. Even the very union of God with his people. That's what the Bible talks about. That's what everything's heading towards. That God will be with his people and his people will be with him. And everything will be well. Marriage just gives us a little glimpse, just a little snippet of that. It gives us an opportunity, something to aspire towards. It gives us hope and a real sense of privilege in the purpose. So how does God intend, expect humanity to flourish through marriage and through appropriate sexual union? Well, let's go back to the beginning for a minute. In Genesis chapter 2, we find God's purposes in marriage. And in verse 24, we can read these words. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's three things happening in this verse that you may spot. Firstly, a man shall leave his father and mother, leaving the family in which one has grown up. I don't know about the young people in our congregation this morning. Maybe you think, I can't wait for the day that I leave home. Um, you, no, you're all shaking your head because you're dutiful and beautiful young people. And uh, it's very good of you. Uh, or maybe you're thinking about, I don't know how to do the laundry. Uh, I don't know how to cook a meal. I can pretty much handle beans on toast, but that's about it. Maybe you're thinking about these things. I don't know. Um, for this reason, leaving the one family unit to form another. Now, I know within our culture, there might be 101 reasons uh, why people kind of strike out on their own. and Some of them are very necessary and some of them are even very good. Uh, but I wonder whether this sense of leaving for the sake of actually can speak something into our hearts today. Now, realistically, this truth can speak into the heart of somebody, whether they're single or whether they're looking to be married or whether they're comfortably not married, and that's entirely okay. But this truth actually says it's not just about us. It says it's not about the self. Here we find this sense of leaving is for the sake of another. And I wonder, you know, whether we're thinking about marriage or thinking about however our lives look in this current season, what's going on with us? Do we want to strike out on our own for the sake of ourselves? Or do we want to strike out on our own for the sake of God's mission in the world and the honoring of another? You see, whether you're single or you're married, you can invest in this just the same. 
For this reason, you leave the one. And it's to make more of God's goodness in the world. It's to reveal more of his splendor in the world. I wonder oftentimes when we go through change in our lives, whether we think, well, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to go somewhere new. I'm going to do something. I'm going to be something new. And whether it's truly about the way that we want to invest in ourselves. I don't really see that in the scripture. I don't see that in God's plan for marriage. I don't see that in God's plan for anybody in the human race. Married, single, widowed, it really makes no difference. I see here that God is saying, it's not about getting your own space or becoming your own person, but it's about the sake of continuing God's call that humanity should be fruitful and multiply, that humanity should be in right relationship with God. And God has designed not just marriage, but whole families to be means of mission. As you think about your life, as you think about the things that you're wanting in life, the way that you're crafting a life, just ask yourself a really, really tough question. Ask yourself, is it for my sake or is it for the sake of God's glory in those that he's placed me with? It doesn't really matter whether it's marriage or whether it's singleness or whatever it might look like. The choices you make, the places you live, the work that you do, the way that you invest your time and your resource, is it about honoring another? Is it about enabling them to grow close to Jesus Christ? Or is it about self-fulfillment and self-actualization or some other thing? I heard on the radio this week about the rise of... um, what they call, I think, sologamy. Have you heard about this? You can probably figure it out, can't you? That it's the love of oneself. (laughs) And uh, you've probably not been invited to one yet, but you may do in the future, that people are having, as it were, marriage ceremonies where they marry themselves. I don't know how many mirrors this involves. I don't know. We have a a little, uh, one of these kind of learning kind of books for our little lad. And it's going, it's going to the zoo. And he, all the different animals, he loves the different animals. There's a page at the back of this book. And he loves it, I would say, more than any other page. And I don't know what this says about him, but it's a mirror. <laughs> and uh, he can often be found, frankly, um, kissing that mirror. Uh, maybe he thinks it's okay because his parents kiss him so much, he must be very kissable. And, uh, you know, we were in an airport not that long ago and uh, there was like a mirrored wall and we were waiting on our flight. And the more the flight was delayed, the more our little lad got to kissing himself in this wall. It was disgusting. We were going around with like, you know, anti-back wipes, cleaning bits of wall so that he could, well, so that he could kiss himself more. I don't know what that says about us. Um, Self-love? Hmm. Is there a better way? Is the more to life? Leaving for the sake of. You know, the verse has been kind of um, rephrased as leaving and cleaving. Yeah? That doesn't mean going after someone with a cleaver. It means that sense of union. So in the version we read, it talks about holding fast. It means lots of hugs, I imagine. But it means union. It may say so in the NIV. And, uh, and what it means is about every type of union. It means being united in heart and in mind, in spirit, as well as in body. It means about being united in your purpose in the world and not simply living as two people with disparate reasons in life, but actually seeing how you can join together even in those purposes. And I want you to think about that. Think about how that looks for your marriage, for your family. Think about how that looks even as friends. How are you honoring, blessing one another's purpose in life? How are you recognizing the work of God in one another? And how are you serving that? Come on. Your life is not the most important life in this room or on earth or in your family or even in your marriage. You leave for the sake of union, for the sake of giving, for the sake of offering, for the sake of preferring one another. Isn't that what the Bible teaches us? Isn't that how we fulfill God's law? preferring one another holding fast 
and they shall become one flesh, the word of God says. Becoming one flesh, no matter what the world tells you, sex isn't just a physical act. It isn't just scratching an itch or satisfying an urge. It is the sacred union of two people who are committed to one another for life. as a high bar. Please, I'm not setting it there in order to make you feel difficult or uncomfortable again. I'm reading what the scriptures are teaching us. And let's figure out how we can honor those scriptures. Let's figure out how we can honor the one who speaks that word into our hearts with all of its difficulty. You see, we don't just need to hear the law. We don't just need to hear the logic. We need to know the why. We need to be captivated by a better vision. How apt. Considering all of the power and the wonder in the marriage bond, why is there still an issue in our world, in our society, in our culture with adultery? Why need a commandment when the better way that God has revealed is so good? I don't know whether you know much about the Bible, but Genesis 2 comes before Exodus 20. God's best was revealed first. It's not like people were experimenting and then God had to come and say, oh, I completely forgot to give you the best way. Not at all. God originally gave the best way and yet human hearts journeyed far from it that's why the law comes in we certainly do even today our culture which is born not outside but inside it's born of the distortions of the human heart it continually wishes to turn sex into a recreational act is it any wonder that the rates of teenage pregnancy they may rise and fall but they stubbornly refuse to go away Is it any wonder that nearly 200,000 abortions are carried out in England and Wales alone each year? That the worldwide porn industry makes around $100 billion every year? That the number of people marrying in the UK declines every single year? And recent statistics show that half of marriages in the UK will end in divorce. I don't know about you, but I think we need God's help. I think when I read these things, I don't feel superior. I feel a little bit of heat coming around my ears because I recognize my own brokenness. I don't know how you get embarrassed, but that's how I feel it. I need God's help because I'm not better. I'm not better than the brokenness of this world except by God's grace. I'm no better. We must have the humility to recognize we're no better except by God's blood, except by means of the Spirit. We need his help. We need the guardrails of the commandment. You see, humanity, we're like lemmings, aren't we? We see a cliff and we just rush off it. Why do we rush off it? Well, everybody's rushing off it. That's how lemmings do it, isn't it? We're no better. We need the guardrails to stop us falling to the doom of our better judgments. And we need this commandment to speak a signpost to us as well. Because you're not intended just to skirt the edge of the cliff either. God wants to lead you somewhere better. He wants to lead you somewhere which is the fullness of his best for you. God has a better plan. I wonder, would you turn with me really quickly into 1 Thessalonians? We're going to read from chapter 4. And we're just going to take a couple of passages from Scripture to help us to understand what's going on in our hearts and to be captivated by a better vision. In 1 Thessalonians 4, we find these words. Reading from the beginning, finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God 
your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. What's going on here? There's some words in there that you're perhaps unfamiliar with. When you hear the word avenger, maybe some of you started to think about Thor. I don't know. So we need to perhaps unpack this a little bit here because there's something powerful that God wants to tell us about his best, being captivated by a better vision. What do we find in this? We find that if we are captivated by this better vision, that we are doing what the commandment asks of us by means of God's grace, then we get to, verse one, walk with and please God. That first bit we read in Genesis chapter two, given to Adam and Eve about how their marriage could look, how beautiful, how rich, and how wonderful it could look in in the world as they knew it. It was given in days when the Bible says Adam walked with God in the cool of the evening, yeah? Got some cool evenings at the moment. We've got cool days, actually. It's just cool all around, isn't it, really? I wonder, this season, could you think about what it is to walk with God? It's a vision of something better, isn't it? It's a vision of nothing less than the Garden of Eden, of paradise, walking with God, being captivated by something better. What else do we see here? We see sanctification and holiness. What does sanctification mean? I can't say that word without wanting to really stretch it out. It sounds magnificent. It's the process of being made holy, set apart to God, being sacred to him. That can happen with you and with me. Oh, you said amen for yourselves. Come on. It can happen with us that God sets us apart for his own wondrous pleasure, that God sets us apart so that we may delight in him as well. That's the process that God wants to call us into through this better vision, this better way. What else do we find? Verse five, you may know God. You may know God. That's incredibly powerful. I think sometimes when we've been believing in Jesus for a while, when we've related to him for a while, we forget what it was like when we didn't know God. It was desperately bad. It was hopeless. But you know God now because the Spirit of God has made revelation to you. This is a better way. What else do we find in these verses? That we might bless and rightly deal with our brothers and sisters. We find that in verse six. God isn't just interested in how you connect with him. He's interested in how you treat one another. He's interested in how you are treated by other people. God cares. As we go on, we find that we might honor God and know the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. There it is in verse eight. He gives his Holy Spirit to you this is the way of life the many promises of God for one who will listen to instruction who will exercise control we read that there didn't we and honour God how much better is life if we are captivated by this better vision how much better if we are more desirous of this priceless life with God than desirous of relationships which bring momentary pleasure and lasting damage. God shows us a better way. He doesn't want you to flounder. He doesn't want you to be lost. He cares for you. So we start with our hearts. Knowing that God has a great plan for marriage, knowing that sex is God's gracious gift within marriage, even better than this, knowing that God has an ultimate plan 
for the union of his people, his church, with himself. And that he's working wondrously by means of the cross, by the word of God, by the Holy Spirit. He's working wondrously to make us holy and ready for him. Knowing all of this, how can we ensure that we hear his call to holiness and we follow his will faithfully? Jesus spoke as part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. You can find it in Matthew chapter 5. And he talked about um, th- th- these commandments. And he talked about the, the words of them, which speak about actions. They speak about the, the ultimate broken realities of things. But then he drew it back into considering what's going on in our hearts. And when it came to the commandment that we've read, Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's in the heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. I don't think many pastors preach on these texts very often because they don't want to spend the rest of the week getting calls from the hospital to go and attend to people who've been chopping off hands and gouging out eyes. Uh, This morning, some of you, as you came in, may have noticed that there was a, a rather sorry looking pigeon on the path out there. Did anyone notice this? Oh good, I got there first. Uh, But as I picked it up, bits of it fell out. It wasn't very nice. I disposed of it. This is is how much I care for you as the church. Um, Grizzly, isn't it? Grizzly, isn't it, this passage? But Jesus Christ makes this kind of grizzly, arresting, grabbing kind of imagery directly connected to the heart. Because Jesus isn't really interested about this idea of hands and eyes so much as he's interested about how they connect with your heart. With your heart. For that's where it all begins or it all ends. That's where new life, new possibility, that's where real love and the treasuring of one another can begin. The heart can be the center of the love of God, but it can also be the seat of the self. That one within that says, satisfy me. Give me. I want. I need. I deserve. See, Jesus Christ, he's done an incredible work in your life, in my life. He's saved us from the penalty of sin. Yeah? You know, if anyone believes in Jesus, they won't perish. They'll know everlasting life. That's brilliant, isn't it? I think so at any rate. He saved us from the penalty of sin. But he also wants to save us from the power of sin. It's that idea of sanctification, being made holy. But you've got to cooperate in this, Christian. You've got to cooperate in this. The Bible tells us to, in our hearts, honor God as holy. You've got to work with God to see your heart change. If you do so, then God will continue to save you from the power of sin. And when he comes again, here's the wonder of it all. You will be saved even from the presence of sin. Isn't that good news? You don't have to struggle forever. Jesus is going to make all things new. But right now, you do have to struggle. You have to fight. It's a Christian thing sometimes, isn't it, to say, oh, I'm struggling with sin. What we really mean is, I'm flat on my back, sin has got its hands around my neck, and to be honest, I don't mind the tickling. If you're struggling with sin, then struggle. Could you do that? Fight a little bit. Could you do that? Did any of you like wrestling when you were kids? You're not admitting to it, are you? Do any of you still like wrestling now? Okay, yeah, all right. It wouldn't have been much of a thing, would it? If every time there was a wrestling bout, if one person came in, sat down in the middle of the ring, and then the other person just repeatedly squashed them. I know it ended up like that quite often, but it didn't start like that. 
And you know, in that imagery, you're the one doing the squashing, okay? Not the squashy, is that a word? You're not the one who's being crumbled. In your struggle against sin, the Bible says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. That sounds like a real struggle to me. Where's the fight in you? (laughs) I think you just answered the question. Come on, Christians. Where's the struggle? Where's the struggle? Should you be chopping off hands and gouging out eyes? No. But should you be chopping off late night internet use and stopping your eyes from greedily drinking in fuel for lust? Yes. It isn't easy, I know. But we must resolve to live faithfully and to do so by being captured by a better vision. That's what your eyes are made for. Your hands are made for service. Your heart is made to be the very seat of the Spirit of God's presence. If that ain't true, they might as well be cut off or got rid of or dead. You're made for the eternal union God is preparing you for. What God has is better. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, we find some really great pithy words. I love Proverbs. It just punches you right in the face, doesn't it? (laughs) That's not an invitation. In Proverbs 6, it says this, Can a man or a woman carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? (laughs) It's rhetorical, isn't it? (laughs) Or... Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Please don't try that. All right. I was worried when you read out these things from the scriptures. Someone's going to like, I don't know. Let's give it a go. Um, <laughs> the answer is, there's a burning going on here. To indulge in these lusts, even in the eyes or in the heart, will scorch, it will damage, it will wreck. Guard your hearts, Christians and what you permit entry into your heart. Ultimately, our faith is not about sin avoidance on its own. That would be a rather sad and weak and small vision. Our faith is about kingdom abundance. It's about being captivated by a better vision. But this commandment, as all the commandments, it helps us with both. The guardrails stop us from falling into sin. If we will let those guardrails actually really get within our hearts, that's where the tram lines belong, not on the outside, on the inside. If we will let them help us, that is great. But the commandment also speaks into our lives, the signpost to a better way, a better way. Would you join us, Ron? We're gonna worship again in a moment. God cares about you. He cares about you. 500 years ago in the Reformation, people started to discover this again, that God wasn't making rules to try and trip people up, but actually he was helping people because he cares about people. And one of the great outcomes of this was that um, pastors, ministers, they, they felt that they could get married again. It had been hundreds of years since they were doing that, but they felt that they could. I'm incredibly grateful for such revelation of the word of God. And uh, they started to do this and they started to realize that, that marriage wasn't wrong. It could be good. Just the singleness can be good. That actually, these things are intended for the glory of God. They started to realize this. They started to realize that their bodies weren't wicked and bad. That they didn't need to hurt themselves to try and prove something to God. They started to realize even that sex could be good in its rightful place. Previously, people had thought all of these things were broken. There was no hope in any of these things. I read in a wonderful little book, as J. John put it, he said, how can, how can people think that sex is good? And he put it like this, how can you make love when you both wear halos? That's a funny idea. People had such odd ideas. And God doesn't come just to say anything goes. God comes to say that was broken, but so is anything goes. 
here's the better way. Here's the better way. God cares about the right environment for sex. I don't mean candles (laughs) and a bit of Barry White. God cares about your marriage. I thought that was really funny when I wrote it as well. (laughs) Honestly, I had a giggle for quite a while. (laughs) God cares. He cares enough to forgive us our sins when we've committed them. And maybe we come to this commandment today and we might think, I don't think I match up. I don't think I'm good enough. I may have messed up. And God says to you, so is everybody. So is everybody. I stand before you and I say, I don't meet God's standards. I don't. We each struggle with different things, I know. And for some of you, you might be saying, well, I could have lived without that long sermon on adultery. That's not my struggle. Well, you do have another struggle though, don't you? We all have struggles. None of us meet God's standard. That's what the book of Romans says to us. And God comes to forgive. Not those who arrogantly continue in their sin, no. But those who humbly depend upon him for mercy. God comes to forgive. Not those who ignore his word but rather those who honour his word and flee from sexual immorality, as the Bible says, flee toward his better way. God speaks this hope to us. Shall we stand together? My hope this morning and my prayer as we go through each and every one of these commandments is that we would understand the reason, even the logic of the word of God, that we'd wrestle with it and we would begin to appreciate how right God is. More than that, that we would attend to the nature of our hearts. Do you know, we're no longer slaves to sin. We sang it already. God has done a work in our hearts, but we know that he needs to do plenty more. Isn't that right? Or is it just me? God needs to do plenty more in our lives. He really does. And he wants to. He wants to do more in our lives. He wants to enable you to be captivated by a better vision, to be made holy, to reveal his glory, even even through your marriage or even through your friendships even through relationships that you may be hoping are going to come to be marriages somewhere down the line. God wants to work through all of these things, through the families that you are bringing up in the way of the Lord. Everything and everything and everything. There is no sphere of creation over which God does not cry, mine. Not because he is grasping because he created it for good and he wants you to flourish we're going to sing songs of the flourishing of God songs of the grace of God one last thought before we get there when we disobey God's commandments there oftentimes comes brokenness there's an example in the scriptures of David and he he devastatingly and uh, in just the most terrible way broke this commandment and within his life he knew the brokenness that came through that you can read it for yourself but he knew what it was then he and everyone involved to come to a place of humility of repentance and of longing for God God brings healing and restoration and new hope for everyone who will come with that attitude it's a TV program coming up soon and I think it's called something like Bad Habits Holy Orders I don't know whether you've come across this yet it's a stupid telly program you know it is because it's on channel 5 but uh, they've taken uh, it's got some good that comes out of it They've taken a bunch of self-described party girls, ladies who basically have no boundaries at all, no guardrails. 
but they invited them to go onto a spiritual retreat. They didn't tell them what that looked like. I think they imagined yoga in Bali or something like that. But they, uh, they rock up and they got taken to a convent. <laughs> and, um, and some just, I've only read about it, it's not out yet, but just the most beautiful sounding nuns took them under their wing. And um, they didn't come to faith in Jesus Christ through the basis of the, uh, base of the program, but you can pray for them. But they certainly did find some incredible truths through the nuns' experience of what it is to be united with Christ. Nuns aren't married, just in case you didn't know. But they know about this better vision. And these ladies, these party girls, they came in and you know they had a night on the town before they went into the convent. But one by one by one, they, they basically came out of the process saying, actually, I was so lacking in contentment, but now I feel contented. For that period, I had less in my life than I thought any other point in my life, but I found it was actually more. I have a better vision of myself. I had no regard for myself because other people didn't, but now I see how precious I am. Isn't this an incredible realization? And a nun, through grace and love and connection with Jesus Christ, can reveal this in our world. And lives can be changed even just bit by bit by bit by bit I think it's incredible I think God is incredible and if you think God is incredible I wonder as we worship him now before we head into the rest of our day before we're perhaps planning to come again this evening and talk about stealing it's less embarrassing would you let your mind and your heart and your soul be captivated by a better vision? Would you humbly come before God, however it may be, for repentance, for strength to keep his word, for the ability to reveal his goodness in your marriage or your relationships, your friendships, whatever it may be. Let's worship God and show his glory. Would you do that this morning? Let's celebrate his goodness together. Thank you, Ron.